Oh, to be famous. In many aspects of our culture, the importance of something or someone is often measured according to numbers. How much money you have, how many years of experience, how many points per game, how much horsepower, how many votes. The better the numbers, the more valuable one is. For television over the years, it's been the Nielsen ratings that have been the number marker of success. Using a representative sampling of families in the United States, Nielsen determines what shows are the most watched and assigns rating points and share numbers. The measuring system is somewhat confusing, but suffice to say, more points equals more power in terms of what slot a show gets on the schedule and how much it can command in terms of advertising revenue. Over the last eight years, Sunday Night Football has been the most popular show over a season, averaging in the neighborhood of 20 million views per episode. The eight years before that, it was American Idol with even higher numbers. Of course, television has changed dramatically in recent years and continues to change with the movement away from major networks and toward more streaming shows. So what's popular more broadly has moved to new and different platforms. There are shows on Netflix, for example, that have been seen by more people worldwide than anything that might show up on traditional television. And not only that, but social media catches more and more eyeballs all the time. And while there's no Nielsen ratings for social media, you don't need such a thing because social media is designed with its own metrics built in. On Facebook, you can see how many likes something gets. On Twitter, it's the number of followers or retweets that count. On YouTube, it's views. And because those numbers are so readily available, anyone who is a participant on social media or who posts things on the internet on whatever platform likely can't help but succumb to the urge to see how much of a splash you are making, how popular you are. The way it is set up encourages that temptation. A couple of years ago, I started a sermon podcast after a friend suggested he would be interested in listening to my sermons if there was just some way to easily access them while he exercised. So I got one of my sons to set up the podcast for me, and I've been posting the weekly sermon ever since. So far, that's 145 episodes that I've posted since I started in December of 2017, just over three years ago. I have 26 people who have signed up to follow me on my particular podcast platform, which is the website Podbean, and probably about that many more who regularly subscribe through other means like iTunes or Google Play. When I checked my stats on Wednesday morning of this past week, the stat line for my podcast looked like this. Four podcast episodes have been downloaded on the day before, on Tuesday. 41 episodes have been downloaded in the last week, and 150 in the last 30 days, all of which brings me to a grand total of 6,867 sermon podcast downloads in three years' time. 
If you average that out, that means that my sermon podcast averages about 47 downloads for every episode. If you do a little more math, what that means is that if I can keep going at this rate with another 67 sermons, 67 more Sundays, I can reach 10,000 downloads. Only a year and a couple months to go. Now, the long and short of that is that my podcasts are not going viral. For comparison's sake, consider this. The first three Sundays back in March of 2020, when we suspended Sunday morning in-person worship and we went to live stream only on YouTube, we had a total of more than 10,000 views just over those first three Sundays. One of those Sundays, the second of the three, accounted for most of that number with over 8,000 views that Sunday. Granted, we were ahead of the curve in terms of getting up and running with live stream, and so maybe we reached a lot of people who had nowhere to go for online worship so early in the pandemic. And it's important to note that our numbers have fallen off to a much lower average since then. But nevertheless, it's going to take me 214 Sundays to reach 10,000 downloads with my sermon podcast. That's more than four years, and we reached 10,000 views on YouTube in just three weeks. So my podcast is slowly plodding along compared to our live stream worship service, which is, comparatively speaking, skipping along. But even that is nothing compared to what happened a few years ago to our friend and former church member David Young, who has his Capstone Community Gardens Ministry in the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. He grows vegetables and keeps bees and nurtures a food ministry. And he was featured in a Rob Greenfield video titled Urban Farmer Turning Food Desert into Food Paradise. It was the summer of 2016 and it was a less than two minute video with no voiceover, just video images, music, and printed narration. So it was short and sweet and simple, but it ultimately received over 16 million views on Facebook and over 19 million views in total across all media platforms. Now that's astonishing. That's the kind of thing that makes a person famous. I corresponded with David this past week to ask him again about the experience. We of course had talked about it at the time that it happened, but I wanted a fresh take on his experience of social media fame. He reminded me that the whole thing started when he was in St. Augustine, Florida, a couple years before this video, helping a retired nun he knew through some health issues. He ran into a man on the beach, a beachcomber, got into a conversation with him and exchanged contact information. Sometime later, the man called him and said his son Rob might be in touch. Rob Greenfield, who is an environmental activist and entrepreneur, did get in touch with David and told him he was doing a series of short, informative videos about inspirational, motivational stories of persons who were working on issues of sustainability. Could he come and film David? David agreed, so Rob came and made the video, did the editing, and posted it, and it went viral instantly. 200,000 views in almost no time, that at one point it was gaining 100,000 views per hour. It slowed down when it reached 14 million, but then others picked it up, including the Huffington Post, George Take, actor and activist of Star Trek Trek fame, and other Video of the Week sites. 
Literally overnight, David said he had 900 emails from well-wishers, from people wanting to donate funds, time, or just to visit, people who were looking for a place to stay, even a marriage proposal. His Gmail account blew up, so to speak. 3,000 people wanted to be friends on Facebook. The Capstone Community Gardens Facebook page suddenly had 33,000 likes. Neighbors helped him sort through the mail that was flooding in. He was determined at first to personally respond to everyone who contacted him, but he was quickly overwhelmed, reviewing messages and trying to respond to requests. He had to set up new volunteer screening forms, liability waivers, things he had never worried about before, and he quickly realized that the bureaucratic demands of fame took time and resources away from serving the community, which is all he ever really wanted to do to serve the community. Then came the online comments, the arguments back and forth between people posting the comments, then personal attacks. David wrote, for a while I acknowledged some of the praise, but then things took another turn with some personal attacks followed up by people defending me by saying what a great person I am. And this was David's response, both to those who criticized him and to those who defended him and his ministry. Quote, this ministry has nothing to do with what a great person I am or not. It's not about fame or money. This has to do with conducting a program to help those in need because this is what I feel called to do. This is my personal decision to act on my faith. I am not really concerned with how great you think I am or not. He asked Rob Greenfield if Rob could pull down the video. Rob said he couldn't do it because it was the biggest video he had ever created and it was already all over the world. There was no removing it. So David took his own steps, as he put it, to remain firm in my faith, values, ethics, and integrity. He shut down the Capstone Facebook page. He culled all the people he did not know from his own personal page and stopped commenting or posting on social media. And slowly, things quieted down. He said to me, the video and other spinoffs are still out there. A few others have even reached a million or two views. While I still receive requests for interviews or offers of awards, I have turned down most of them unless it directly relates to the mission of Capstone and not my personal gratification. David sent me the YouTube links to the viral video and the other videos that have followed since. The most recent video that features him, an interview by an urban farming organization focused on his work in the Lower Ninth Ward, was produced in 2018 and has a mere 398 views. Quite a change from millions, but more in line with David's mission and his self-chosen place in this world because he never wanted to be a sensation. He just wanted to serve. In the scripture today, Jesus has his own brush with fame, his own viral moment, but unlike many of us, he seems not to be interested in his own statistics. He seems instead to want to keep a lid on things. What's going on with his caution? Is he sensing that it is too soon for fame? 
Does he still need some time to get things in focus within himself before he's ready to face the world? Is he working his way up to full ministry status? Is he still trying to get his disciples instructed before everything takes off so that they will be a support to him when the pace picks up rather than a drag because they can't keep up? Or is it a matter of controlling his own message rather than the unclean spirit setting the direction, making the declaration? Does Jesus want to offer his own message in his own way and in his own time? Is that why he puts the brakes on when he's named by the unclean spirit as the Holy One of God? Or does he somehow just know that fame is a wave that is always followed by an undertow? Does he already know that fame might get you noticed, but rarely does it get you connected, at least not in the real, human, healing, transforming, renewing way that we all need to be connected? The unclean spirit identifies Jesus, outs him, before he is ready, but that's not what really makes his fame spread. Just being called the Holy One of God isn't enough to make the moment go viral. What makes the moment take off is that Jesus casts out that spirit. He has power, and in this moment, it is suddenly on full display. It's not what the unclean spirit says about him, but it's what Jesus says in response. Be silent and come out of him, and how that spirit obeys him. That's what goes viral. The people hear that and they see what happens and their response is one of amazement. Amazement at his teaching, his authority, his power. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him, is what they say as they turn to each other. And that testimony is what takes off. It's what spreads from one person to the next until it is spread throughout the region. And so Jesus becomes famous. And from then on, there's no turning back. There's no running under the radar. He has something that people want a piece of. And now they all know it. He has power to heal, authority in the spiritual realm. He has presence. He has charisma. He has coattails. And maybe that's some of it. He has coattails to which people are going to attach themselves or try to attach themselves After all, fame is something that crowds give, but then it is something that they also want to attach themselves to. They want to get closer. They want a piece of the action. The possibility of having fame can be seductive, but if you can't have it, then at least getting close seems like it would make us feel important too. This can be an issue for individuals, but churches, congregations also struggle with this, I think. The desire to be known, to be admired, to be desired. Except sometimes in the church context, we put a little bit of a different shine on it. We want to be relevant, is what we might say. But really, we want to be recognized for being relevant. We want to be admired and desired. If people want us, want to be part of us, wouldn't that be validating? 
Wouldn't it somehow prove that what we are doing is worthwhile and who we are is admirable? God knows that would feel pretty good to be thought of as being pretty good. That may be why we both like and dislike the stories we hear from time to time of congregational successes. We like those stories because it gives encouragement to the idea that churches can in fact be relevant, not only to their members, but in their communities. But at the same time, there's a part of us that dislikes those congregational stories of success from a neighboring church or a rising star in the denomination because when we see someone else's recognition, it reminds us of the ways in which our best efforts often remain unrecognized. And another truth is that we often think of other congregations or ministries, especially those that seem to get some attention, not as our partners or our potential partners, but as our competition. One of the things that we brethren have done over the years is to emphasize that we aren't really trying to be successful by the world's measures so much as we are trying to be faithful to the example and teachings of Jesus. It's a valid orientation, no doubt, but is it really true? Is it what we feel in our hearts? Is being focused on being faithful enough to satisfy us. Jesus just wanted to do his work, I think, to live out his calling, to meet and engage and interact with people, to teach and reveal the will and the way of God in very daily moments. I don't see him as having an overall strategy to increase his fame or leverage his Facebook likes. He didn't have an agenda, it seems, other than continuing to live at the edge of spiritual and systemic challenge. Challenging others to be more inclusive, challenging those around him to be more forgiving, challenging his followers to have more integrity, challenging the system to be more in line with God's love and justice. And he had this ministry of healing He would continue to cast out demons, but also to heal lepers and give sight to the blind and to stop the bleeding. And as he did that, he also healed people's hearts and their minds. He made them whole inside and out. Do you need fame to be a successful healer? I'm not sure you do. I think you just have to have a particular kind of touch. And this as well, a clear sense of yourself, your purpose, your calling, your integrity, and your truth. God calls us to be who we are. God does not call us to be important in the eyes of the world, but to have the integrity of our calling. If fame comes, it comes. But don't expect it to be a blessing. It might just as easily be a curse. In the meantime, in the present moment, with recognition or not, 
we seek to teach and heal and forgive and advocate and minister. We seek to be in the company of Christ and to extend his good work. We seek to move through the world with something of his humility and integrity deep in our souls and expressed through our lives. May it be so. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection. <laughs> 